brute to tell everyone a piece of news. It's been bruited around that he's been going to leave the company. Yesterday's one was really good. Impolitic. If words or actions are impolitic, they are unwise and likely to cause offence or problems, especially in social situations. While trying to make a joke at the serious job interview, it became apparent that the impolitic statement came across as an insult to the interviewer. Mm. Fair enough. Mm. All right, gamers. Can we leave that as the intro, please? (laughs) (laughs) Or at least put it at the end, does it make it? Welcome to Dark Tides, where we have word of the day calendars. And both of them are words that Aubrey is pretty sure mean other things. Yeah, I think brute is just... Brute is just brute. It's weird where it's B-R-U-I-T-E. Bright. 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 You gotta go, you gotta go classy with it. Bright. You gotta go Cardi B with it. <laughs> we finally uh, did it. We have we fun finally here. Two, a season and a half in, we finally went there with the Cardi B. Very nice. And Hi, someone's everyone. mowing. God damn it. Someone's mowing and it's about to storm. These people think they can come into my house. Yeah. So anyway, hi. Um, We're still here. We're still making this horror arc. Things are still going down. Still warnings. Still look at your descriptions if, you know. Look, we've had some complaints about people going, you know, scenes where people pull their skin off to reveal that they're a monster that shouldn't fit in a human skin. It's not good. Don't question it. Yeah. We've had complaints about that. Who complained? This is your girlfriend again. Is it again. me? No, she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> no. I don't think... <laughs> okay. Neither does mine. <laughs> uh, not really complaints, just people going, I have to listen to this in the daytime. That's the goal. They listen to it earlier, yeah. sooner. <laughs> we warned you. It's not like you were going in blind. You knew this was going to happen. Yeah, um, but one, one thing I will say, just uh, as a little heads up, if any of you are um, avid listeners of actual play podcasts, which is what we stop do. Stop it. Yeah, stop, stop it, it right now. Get some um, help. <laughs> <laughs> look, this tiny niche industry of people making these shows does not need your help. Um, we didn't when we had the chance, and now look at us. We make our own. Even Get though we're can, in please. top 150 in Australia... Yeah! yeah, for drama. Beating out the ABC. Yeah. No, we're not. <laughs> um, Aubrey has. We're gonna take him down. Very strong opinions about the way that a lot of uh, the rating and economics of podcasts work. It's it's very unethical, especially I mean, when you're going up against the ABC. Yeah. I mean, listen. I, I think pointing at exactly. the cast of Dark Tides, Aubrey, BJ, and Chester. I think we could be the new ABC, and we could do it better. We could do it better. Aubrey, um, BJ. No. Oh, what no. I wanted to say. Oh, I didn't. Oh no, what? Aubrey, BJ, Chester. Oh no, <laughs> you didn't get the joke. No, I just. I just. Uh. Anyway, no, he's just. He's disappointed that it exists. I'm. So am I. Anyway, um, we've had a fun little thing this past week if you listen to dungeons and dragons like dumb dungeons and dragons um you might have heard an ad for our show in their mid-roll you may have also heard the a different ad for our show a couple of weeks ago uh anyway they've been very kind as to put up uh our trailer and stuff in their show so if you're looking for something else to listen to something that's a bit more of a traditional fantasy style go and check them out 
coming up pretty soon, there will be an ad of ours on the end of time and other bothers, which is basically the same tone as our lighter episodes, but in a fantasy setting. It is a lot of fun. Um, it's one that I was listening to while coming up with a lot of the world building for Port Staples, and it was like, yes, this is the kind of tone that I want. And thus we never did that. And thus time. we never did that. <laughs> anyway, those are two great shows <laughs> that are out there. They're both currently releasing episodes. I think Dungeons and Dragons just sort of perpetually rolls on. End of Time and Other Bothers has done a several different seasons and now they're doing their third season, which has been a little while in the coming, so go check them out. Wow. Um yeah, we haven't been doing fun fact things. No. Our I, characters no, aren't fun anymore. I'm BJ. Yeah. I, I play Alistair and Randy. Hi. Chet, Chester's not here. Okay, nice. Hi, guys. My name's Chester. I play Ernest Marsh. Once a Boy Scout in Port Staples, now no, he's a bit... No, okay, fine. Come on. I wrote it no. and now I've used gonna, it like three times. Now he's well, going to be a star. you should have used it earlier. I, I never write things on time. You know this. Yep. I mean, it's amazing that yeah, the machine happened. <laughs> it is. Uh, now... Chester always cuts my little recaps, mm -hmm. so my uh, my goal is to make them as short as possible. <laughs> so I just can't be bothered. <laughs> you can't be bothered. Um, last week, you had a family intervention, parented a child, well, really suspected a child of treachery. <laughs> <laughs> and then parented the had, child. Aubrey had an argument with Chester that was thinly veiled as character development. Um, Twice, and then you and I won, <laughs> and then you left into different Twice. directions. <laughs> but the fa that's what that's the character part. The fact that I won, that was the Finley Vale part. Like the part of this show is the fact that I actually won. Won. I don't think that's how it normally works. When Chester and I normally argue, Aubrey gets very frustrated and usually says something quite insensitive and untrue, like read a book, <laughs> and then leaves. <laughs> So I usually just I just usually uh, flee the argument at a certain point because I get too frustrated. Because I'll keep going. You just flee it at a point that makes yeah. it seem like you have the high ground. Yes, yeah. I try and leave with the moral high ground. Yeah. It's like it's like the thing I worked out when I was what ten of the fact of hey the only way I can beat Aubrey as this scrawny little kid is if I just keep getting up because he'll get bored. <laughs> <laughs> like this is us like wrestling and stuff like that. If I just don't give up. He'll get bored and then I'll win. Very unathletic Aubrey will just get tired. He'll start like getting his um, what was it? What asthma. You, asthma, that's the word. He'll start getting his asthma and be like, I'm done with this. I'm going to go play Xbox. Ah, uh, childhood. Anyway. Yeah. Now listeners, crack open a cold one. <laughs> that, hurt, that hurt my finger and enjoy the show <laughs> what is this show bad it's bad what it's is bad it? bj and we should fun. be cancelled we used to i feel like we need to poll people at some stage whether the show is actually funny or not <laughs> whether it's actually enjoyable or whether we've just conned people into some kind of they're weird just, trauma <laughs> cycle. They're just so deep in now. It's like, oh, I've listened to 50-something episodes. I can't leave. 44, I think. I think. The, fact, the fact that one of the patrons offered to buy not me a chair <laughs> shows that it, we've somehow affected people's senses of humour. Just I don't know if it's a good way or a bad way. 
Yeah, we're just attracting a negative influence. It's good. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's <laughs> what we want. has picked up through the dead pines, rustling the bare branches that scrape together. In the town of Slate Ridge, the clouds are being driven on to reveal a cold winter sky. The afternoon is wearing on and the pale sun is beginning to dip. On the lonely, winding, cracked road, Alcestern and Puck Welsh are driving with their two-tier enforcers, uh, Thomas and Riley. I did take notes of their names. You are heading towards the Slate Ridge Dam. Now this road has wound its way up from the town into another small pass, uh, heading for the small plateau where the dam has been built. Uh, Alistair, is there anything that you want to prepare before you arrive? I don't think so, because I think he would be pretty alert as it is. Um, and I think in terms of, like, the explosives that they're bringing with them, he would have them in a bag or something. Um, he definitely wouldn't want to re- prepare those early, because <laughs> that's dangerous. Um, I think it's more just being on edge and just being aware of his surroundings and being ready in case... Uh, in case they get attacked or if they get ambushed or something. Um, he's kind of gone over his kit. He's made sure he's got his knives. He's got um, his body armor that he's been wearing pretty much consistently the whole time. Um, just kind of going through a mental checklist of, okay, well, you know, what would I do if something appeared on my left? Okay, maybe I would do this. I'd use this weapon. I'd attack this way. That kind of thing, more like a mental checklist as opposed to, like, physical, this is what I'm going to prepare, yeah. As you are mentally working through your checklist, Puck is driving. Uh, she seems very focused in her own right. Riley and Thomas in the back seats uh, are both fairly quiet. You feel, Alistair, that strange uh, shifting, coalescing in the back of your neck almost like a small lizard curling in on itself and you hear the voice in your head you seem worried you shouldn't be uh alistair is gonna not reply out loud because he doesn't want to seem like a madman just yet anyway so he's just gonna think to himself and he's gonna think of Um, what Heath said in his little speech before they went in the first time to get Randy and Jonah out. And he's just going to kind of think to himself, it would be a bad thing if I wasn't worried. Fear is a good thing in moderation. All things are good thing in moderation. (laughs) All things are good in moderation. Fear is good. You feel uh, the tingle down your arm as the service revolver in this rather specific form that you have sort of chosen for it uh, appears in your hand 
and it feels warm and comforting and heavy in your palm and you hear Faustus's voice again. Fear can make you prepared, I suppose, but you should know that nothing is going to hurt you. Or if it does, it's not going to escape. They should be afraid of you. Again, still um, kind of talking inside his head rather than out loud, Alistair just kind of thinks, I know, but I'd be a fool if I relied entirely on something external to my own senses and my own abilities and my own fear and adrenaline. Maybe. I know. But I'm not external. I'm part of you now. And I know it's strange. And I know it's probably hard to trust, but I think in time you'll begin to think of me just like your arm, just like your fingers. Part of you, you don't even need to think to move. But that'll take time. It is weird, but hey, I've been through more weird stuff in my life than I ever thought was possible, so I'll get used to it. You are a part, yes. You feel that uh, coalescing again and the gun is gone. Alistair kind of blinks a bit and rubs his eyes a bit because it's been quite a few days of very intense strain and uh, not a whole lot of sleep. Kind of rolls his shoulders, cracks his neck and just breathes and kind of resets himself, getting ready. Uh, And then he looks out the window to see... Uh, like how far up they've they've gone on the trail because he wasn't really paying attention to that during that conversation. It's not a short drive. Uh, you've been maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes now and you can see that you're rounding a bend and the dam itself is coming into view. You're only maybe five minutes away. Your internal little reverie is broken as... Uh, you feel a sharp tug on your hair, like at about the same point as your ear. Yes, Puck. Uh, Puck is looking directly, <laughs> is like pulling on your hair and looking directly at you. She's not looking at the road, even though she's driving. Um, just a quick question. Have you ever thought, thought yeah, yeah, what's wrong? Never mind. Have you ever <laughs> thought about um, dying this again? Because it looks... Like crap, Alistair. I'm gonna just. I'm just gonna say it. I think you should grow out the bangs a little bit. You should really go for like an anime boy style. I think that suits, you know, your whole demeanor. Uh, Puck, there's a pothole. That, uh, yep. No, you found it. Good job. I know what I'm doing. She's still looking directly at you. Not at the road. Hey, Puck, the pothole. The... <laughs> yep. Found that one too. Good job. <laughs> she smiles a little bit. Look, I know it's serious. I know this is genuinely life or death, but it doesn't help to be so tense that, you know, you can't relax enough. You're faster when you're relaxed. You react a lot better and a lot faster when you're relaxed. That's something I've had to learn. If you get too tense, you're going to end up unable to move. So just... um. 
I don't know, maybe buy a joke book or something. Listen, Pac, we've talked about this. Comedy comedy is not <laughs> is not in my career path. It's not you can see this as Alistair's like he's let go of the steering wheel and he's like kind of reclining back in his seat to try and show her. He's like, I'm relaxed, I'm relaxed. Like the cock Are you like putting the seat back? <laughs> yeah, yes. Just like squishing. Right, you're putting the seat back and you could feel a little bit of resistance and then a grunt. Oh, and sorry, then you sorry, just my bad. Feel a very large hand snake around in front and like grabs your nose and mouth. Uh, and you hear Riley right next to your ear. Alistair Stern, if you do that one more time, I'm going to break both your legs. <laughs> yep, I'll, I'll move it. Sorry, <laughs> Alistair moves the seat quite quite far forward this time. <laughs> I just feel like Puck and Alistair have been having basically this conversation for the entire 20-minute drive, and mm-hmm. the two guys in the back are just like, we are about to die, yeah, and the- Alistair keeps moving his seat. <laughs> I think I think Chester should voice Thomas. It's like, why is um, it that the life and death situation is not the number one priority in my life right now, <laughs> Alistair? Yeah, this kind of occurs to you both. Uh, you and Puck are in your your very early twenties. Puck is maybe you know a little bit a year or two older than you. Um, you're relatively very young. Uh, the two guys you have behind you have got to be in their their mid mid-30s probably they both both look like they're built like firemen they're very sort of sturdy and hardy riley has... they're basically babysitting <laughs> yeah and there's this there's this very bizarre dynamic of the fact that these men who are much older who presumably have a lot more experience at least life experience if not field experience are somehow just there to back you up while you guys do all of this stuff Essentially, babysitting teenagers, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Um, and as you as you kind of put your seat back, you can kind of feel Thomas biting back some kind of parenting dad advice about driving and safety stuff. <laughs> you uh, begin to slow down as the gates come into view. They're very typical. Um, industrial gates on a wheel and runner to slide to the side there's no gatehouse here just the gates and they are padlocked shut beyond them you can see a little gravel parking lot and turning circle you can see some demountable offices and one large sort of concrete and steel box that sits on the side of the dam wall itself. Presumably this is where all of the equipment and pumps and things are kept. Okay. Puck begins to slow as she reaches the gate. Uh, yeah, Alistair kind of eyeing the gates and eyeing, you know, the the lock and everything. He's like, we could try and blow through that, but I reckon we just climb over. Mmm. Mmm. Puck begins reversing up a little bit. <laughs> uh, um, Alistair looks at her, looks at Thomas, who's like diagonally opposite, and he's like, Well, I tried. Hello, dear listener. It's me. 
actually Chester here for once, not playing one of my many varied characters that are all slightly the same. Here to tell you about Dark Tides, well you're already listening to Dark Tides, but tell you about the Dark Tides Patreon where you can get a whole bunch of other stuff including a prequel series that I wrote and DM'd myself. It was a fun time. It's called Feed the Machine. It expands on the lore and concepts of Dark Tides in a really fun and cool way. You can check it out at darktides.com. No, that's not it. Patreon.com slash darktides. You can check it out. It's a lot of fun. It's really cool. Very scary. Check it out. It's available for the second and third tiers. So give it a go. It's the best way to support the show and support us. Uh, if you can't commit to a Patreon deal type of thing, wherever that business is, I don't know, man. The best way you can also support the show is by following us on Twitter at DarkTidesPod, checking us out on Reddit, r slash DarkTides, or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts for Dark Tides to help spread the show a little bit. Anyway, enjoy the rest of the episode. The four of you bunker out. Chester, tell us a little bit about Thomas. Oh, uh, well, Thomas gets out of the car. He's a, uh, a rather plump man. Plump's the good the good word for it. Rosy-cheeked. I'm he, pretty sure Aubrey just described both of them as very fit fireman builds. Well, he's fine. plump and fit. There's a combination. Yeah, nice. BJ. Good save. He both nice. has a shaved head and a mullet. <laughs> but but the mullet's like tied back a little bit and he gets back puts his hands on his hips like oh sick bro that was fully sick man back there puck puck that was some good stuff anyway let's get going <laughs> I regret this instantly uh, hey Alistair Alistair you want to sit on strudel is this the baker from the archipelago no no it's not <laughs> You sounded very similar. <laughs> no. I'm his brother. <laughs> I'm his brother, Mickey D. <laughs> As opposed to Maddie D. Yeah. Well, anyway, Maddie D's dead. All right. Uh, okay, so as we get out, Alistair um, and the other two kind of default to like a, a security sweep formation, I would imagine. Alistair kind of pulling out one of his knives, getting ready just in case to like circle forward and make like a little semicircle in front of the car just to make sure that because clearly apparently they're not going in stealthy which I think was the plan uh but that's not happening cuz everyone knows we're here now so what's who yeah, do I play uh, we just Thomas 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 like looks at the the fences like oh yeah well it's, a, it's an act of asserting dominance over the situation and he's going to pull out a pair of nunchucks <laughs> <laughs> yes alright well if you're doing, uh, if you're doing awesome. nunchucks we are doing Dungeons and Daddies yes, rules yes where you have to roll to not hit yourself yeah. but they'll do extra damage you know I'm going to flurry them <laughs> alright uh, Thomas uh, Riley pulls out a katana <laughs> Nice. Uh, Alistair pulls out his other switchblade, and I rolled a six investigation perception looking around roll. All right. Well, a six is a mixed result. Um, there are a couple of I cars. I get blinded by the katana. <laughs> the, the way of the, the blade. The moonlight glints off the blade. <laughs> or the sunlight. The, 
Sunlight. It's it's late afternoon. Um, yeah. There are a few cars in the parking lot, two sort of pickup trucks uh, and one little boxy Hyundai or something. You can see that there are... Oh, look at the shit box. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are people here. I know it. Yes, you can see that the gravel all over the place uh, is pretty messed around and scuffed up by tire tracks and people walking. It's very hard to make out if there's anything significant here. But as you look with a mixed result, um, you can see that there are two little demountable offices that are obviously one would be like a lunchroom and the other one would be the office of whoever's in charge of keeping track of everything. They're over to your right uh, close to where the cars are. On your left, there is uh, the large concrete cinder block building that would be the pump house with all the controls and everything that monitors the actual uh, power generating station. So it's quite large. Okay. Uh, Alistair is kind of starting to switch into sort of mission mode now. He's like, let's sweep the cars and then first priority is find any civilians, get them into the SUV, and then we plant the explosives last. All right. So the four of you begin sweeping out, keeping a reasonable distance between you so as not to be an easy clumped target, but staying well within um, helps reach, I guess, as yep. you spread towards uh, the cars. Now I'll get all of you to make investigation checks for me. Okay. Two. Seven. Um, seven for Riley and an 11 for Puck. All right, as you are spreading out and moving, uh, Alistair, you are very focused on the formation and you're kind of, again, mentally going through your checklist of the procedure for which buildings you should search first, who should go in first, um, which well, he, levels... There's also like three cars, so he'd probably be like staying back and letting them check the cars maybe. Uh, yeah, and as they begin to search, uh, it's a very basic move around the car checking... Uh, the interior and then the underside, sort of like a security uh, sweep. Uh, the puck is faster than the other two, uh, and she calls out first. Brakes are cut on all of them. Fuel line too. Really? Yeah. Weird. Somebody did not want them leaving. Okay. Thanks, puck. Um. Yeah. All right, I think we should probably move to the demountables. Uh, yeah, well, okay. I'm just... If I were sheltering from a bunch of monsters, I'd probably take the big concrete building over the little... So would I, but we don't want to leave anywhere unchecked. We'll go check the little one. Um, well, we'll split you into different ones. How about Thomas goes with Alistair, Puck will go with Riley. Okay. You approach the two demountables. They're separated by a little ways. Outside the one, there are a couple of little outdoor tables, little picnic table type of things. Um, this one is obviously the lunchroom. That's the one that you guys are heading for. You, Alistair, you're checking the underside as Thomas makes the full round. Thomas, it doesn't take you very long uh, to find the trail of blood from the door. Mm -hmm. down into the sort of the grass and dirt and gravel that is below. 
and with a t- it was a 12 was it yeah with a 12 you're pretty sure that this heads out into the um, open space more towards the actual dam itself and the large building but it seems to be dripping from under the door hey uh bro hey uh um, yeah what's up I think I found one found one what oh I see Timothy's gonna open the door alright uh, make a stress roll for me so that's how much stress damage you're gonna take that would be a d4 and Alistair will make the same. One. Yep. Timothy's seen some shit. <laughs> Three. Alistair's currently seeing some shit. <laughs> All right. uh, you open the door, Thomas, and you can feel the weight as you begin to uh, ease the bolt through. And as the door opens, it opens outwards with this sort of a building. Um, and you find there's a body slumped against the door from the inside that begins to slip out as you open the door. Uh, Alistair would have, like, set up a defensive position to cover the open door, so he would have to, like, jump back out of the way to avoid Uh, getting hit by this body. Yeah, hey, Timothy catches the body. All right. Um, It is a relatively young guy maybe in his early 30s or so with a short beard um there is not a whole lot left of him Mm. it looks mostly like his chest cavity has been broken in as you look into the rest of the room you can see one more body um slumped underneath a table on the opposite side uh, still having his knives out because this is kind of quite close quarters so he's thinking probably more effective than the gun uh, at close range he go like moves into the room checks everything and then goes over to the second body to make sure that it's dead and all that you know I just realised Alistair has two knives yep um Thomas has nunchucks. Riley has a samurai sword. Oh, it's the Ninja Puck Turtles. Has, uh, has oh, two sticks rather than one. Yes, you're basically the Ninja Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> mm. There is not a lot to see inside. There are signs of a struggle. Um, some of the tables have been flipped over. There are blood and tracks. You can see inhuman tracks in the blood on the floor there's not much else to see <sighs> looks like they got here first I keep forgetting his name Thomas uh, picks up his radio hey uh, uh, Puck we found two dead ones came from the dam most likely they were either attacked here or some uh, there's a blood trail coming from the dam it's, uh, it's not a good sitch you're talking uh, on the radio like looking into the room and Puck is standing like three metres behind you oh hi Puck <laughs> Can I can I roll on the blood trails? Because I want to see if they look like somebody who is injured and bleeding who has, like, crawled their way in to, like, take refuge, or if it looks like the trail of a bleeding body that's already dead that's been dragged by something else. Uh, make a roll, and you can make it with proficiency because this would be part of your training is tracking and these sort of things. Uh, well, that's a one, so that's a three. <laughs> uh, proficiency means you can roll twice. 
Ooh. Oh, oh sorry. Yes. Mm. I thought you meant. Yep. yep. Uh, 11. 11. All right. Um, it's basically physics, the amount of blood versus the distance versus the sort of shape of the trail and these things. You would say that it's actually neither of those things. It wasn't that people were wounded somewhere else and came here and then were killed, and it wasn't that they were killed here and that was it. What you would say is that there were probably more people here, uh, at least one more who was wounded and escaped heading away from the Demountables. Okay, all right. So at least someone uh, else was here. I could be wrong, but it looks like there's probably at least one other person that we're looking for that was here, so... All right. Uh, you start heading towards the large concrete building that is, in fact, the power plant um, for the dam. Are you making any other preparations? Which order? There is really basically kind of... Um, a large roller door at one end where the machinery would have been brought in and installed originally and where big machinery might come in to maintenance things. Um, but there is a fairly simple set of steel double doors on the side where you would normally enter. You're able to follow the blood trail right to the door um, and you can in fact see some bloody fingerprints on the handles of the door and on the panel itself. What is your marching order in terms of going through the door? I think we would have Riley say open the door and then because Alistair has a gun, he would stay back for like longer range. Puck would go through low, maybe. Thomas would go through like like she would crouch down, go in, he would look up and then Alistair would go in last, like covering yep. um, Riley's retreat as he goes in. Yep. Okay. This is basically what you do. Uh, you arrange yourselves around the door. Alistair, you're standing square onto the door, pistol raised. Riley counts it in using his fingers to show and then pulls the door open swiftly. Puck moves in low, um, skirting in. She has a torch on and one of the batons in her hand. Batons, rather. Uh Thomas, I'm assuming you go in as well. Are mm-hmm. you flourishing your nunchucks? Yes, I'll flourish my nunchucks in. Right, I'm going to say that you got to you got to hit it. Uh, it's got to be a six or higher for a successful flourish. Okay. I'll assert dominance over the Wendigos. <laughs> Two. Two. I hit Puck as well. <laughs> <laughs> you decide. Well, to- would it just be that a a one is damage? Um, yeah, I, won't, I won't make you take damage because you're wearing body armor and stuff. You're not going to take damage unless it's like a nat one, in which case you manage to like hit yourself in the face. But you like, you go to snap it, you hit yourself in like the, sh- the top of the shoulder. And as you kind of like go, ow, and jerk your arm, you smack Puck across the back <laughs> very lightly. You hear her curse. Um, oh, sorry about that, bro. It was going to be sick. Riley drawing the katana steps through. <laughs> Um, into the darkness and Alistair you are at the back bringing up the rear okay alright as you step into the space I want you to make a perception check for me Tira's just turned into the Power Rangers (laughs) very quickly (laughs) Ninja Turtles Chester get it right Uh, that's a 6 okay with a 6 you step into the space Um, the lights are out there seems to be 
whether the, there's no power or just that the lights are off, it's hard to tell just yet. Puck is moving forwards, low, sweeping uh, left to right with her torch. You can see that you're entering sort of a, a small corridor that seems to be... Uh, it's used for housing a bunch of different lockers and these sort of things, uh, and it probably leads into the main area where all the turbines and machinery and everything is kept. Uh, okay. The other two are moving in forwards. Alistair, as you step into the space, are you leaving the door open? Yeah. Oh, hmm. Yes, he would, because he's thinking it's probably more likely that there's going to be something in there to attack them so a quick retreat is good and also if there's somebody alive we also want to get them out quickly mm -hmm. so i think he would weigh up probably it's safer to leave the door open than close it all right do you glance back at all you're just gonna leave it open you're gonna prop it oh yeah no absolutely so like i'm covering the door as they go in forward and then i once they obviously haven't being immediately attacked i would turn around and then enter the door backwards looking back the way we came all right as you do this you're looking out into the car park uh you're seeing the wind picking up a little pushing through the pines and you can hear the waterfall as uh, water escapes through the little slots of the dam and as you back up the darkness sort of closes in uh, until there's really only light coming from the door. And that's when you feel a pressure in your back. That's when you hear the inhuman growl right in your ear. And that's when you feel claws slip through your jacket, through the armor underneath and puncture your left lung. You take 18 points of damage. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's um, what we want. You feel the claws slip past the armor. It is a calculated shot. Um, it's picked a weak point, and the claws have dug through four of them to be exact. And you oh. feel just this sensation of heat and then of a tingling around the wound and you suspect that it might have punctured your lung. Maybe not all four, but maybe at least one. Make a roll for me. This is going to be effectively like a willpower check. It kind of got caught on my folder, but it would have been a 12, so 12. Okay. Uh, you feel instantly the coalescing in the back of your head you feel the heat in your hand and the revolver uh, moves almost of its own accord as if someone else is jerking your arm and it moves directly up and back to fire over your shoulder basically like upside down backwards you feel the gun pulse you feel um, that expansion of heat and then that contraction and then the almost earth-shattering bang as this thing fires and what you feel also is that the gun um, 
you have been trying to direct it up to avoid hitting anyone else. The gun forces your arm down and shoots. You hear the impact, you feel, um, not to get too graphic about it, but you kind of feel the spatter of, you assume blood on your back and on your neck. And you hear the cry of the Wendigo as the claws are withdrawn from your back. You sort of half spin, half fall, turning as you do so. And as you look up in the flashlight of the others who have turned to see since you made that noise, you see that the Wendigo was hanging from the roof. Uh, It was being hanging from the gantry above you. And as the gun has pushed down, it's actually shot through its chest and head rather than into its stomach or legs oh, as you would have. It was upside if, down. Because it was upside down. I see. Uh, so the gun is redirected, okay. shot it. It tumbles to the floor, but instantly is scrambling for the walls to climb back into the roof and the ceiling cavity above you. Okay. Um, I would like to do two things. Mm-hmm. First thing I'm going to do is with my left hand... Um, I'm going to try and apply as much pressure to my side as I can to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'll just roll to see how effectively I can yep, make a figure first out where check. the wounds are. Yep. Uh, I don't think I have a plus to that. I will just check there. Yeah, no, I don't. That's all good. Uh, that's a six. All right, um, mixed success. You basically are just putting pressure on where it hurts, uh, and for the moment, that's about as much as you can do. Yep, okay. Uh, and then I'm going to fire again. Oh, <laughs> uh, natural 12 for that. All right, as it is scrambling up above you, um, the arm comes up, the gun levels, you pull your breath into your burning lungs, half of uh, you. Sorry. You pull air into your burning lungs. A full breath, you release half. You steady your aim and you pull the trigger. Um, Again, this thing goes off like a rocket and your arm is sort of jolted back very, very slightly as a hole is torn in the roof above you and this thing is blasted through. Knowing that that one's not really a threat, now he kind of collapses to his knees to now focus a little bit more on the bleeding and his injuries and he just all he says is check the ceiling as they're in the roof as you say that you hear the dull clang of the door close behind you and the click of the lock oh shit ah great Turn to the outskirts of Slate Ridge as Ernest Marsh has slipped away from the group of tier operatives who are patrolling the town and setting up defences. Ernest, you have disappeared into the trees. Have you gone alone or are you walking with anyone else at the moment? Uh, He's sort of walking alone. He's asked Randy and Sherman to 
to come with him, but I don't know where they are at yet. We'll say that Sherman has uh, gone ahead a little ways. He's found a slight outcropping somewhere where he can get a pretty good view of the valley and keep an eye on you from above. Randy is perhaps... Would we say Randy is trailing behind or ahead, do you think, BJ? Randy would 100% have asked to go ahead, and I don't think Ernest would have let him. I think Ernest's thing will be Randy will be the thing to stop any tear from coming after him. Ernest is like, try to talk to them. If they keep trying, shoot at them. Because they're not going to, they'll just, they'll like tackle you. They're not going to do anything, but you can keep them away. Yeah. Type of thing. All right. And Ray's yep. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> These bastards. That was the only thing that convinced him not to go ahead. I get to use my gun. Finally. <laughs> Brings out the oh, shotgun yeah. again. It's like, I brought this bad boy all the way from the archipelago. <laughs> <laughs> I call her Betsy. Um, the left barrel's called Betsy. The right barrel's called Sharon. John. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> John and Janine. Darnell is above you in bird form, circling above, keeping an eye out. Ernest, you are walking alone through the dead pines. You are stepping over knotted roots and this thick, dense, rotting carpet of pine needles. The wind is picking up now and you feel it even through your jacket, the cold of winter coming on. The sky has opened up a little, the clouds have moved on and you can see the weak sun as it's beginning to dip down into the mountains. Ernest is looking up, looking between the branches of the dead pines up at the sky while it's still light out, seeing Darnell circling above. He's checking behind him, seeing Randy way off in the distance, following Ernest's trail, and he looks ahead. Randy waves. Ernest waves back, and then Ernest looks forwards, kind of rubbing his hands on his, his legs a little bit as he walks. And he's thinking to himself, it's different this time. Doing this for the right reason, not for the reason before. But I don't know if I can even do what I'm trying to do. I don't. Ernest keeps walking, feeling the wind brush against him and just those thoughts running through his mind of how am I going to do this and how am I going to do this right? And he closes his eyes and feels himself tipping backwards a bit more subtly than normal as he keeps walking and he opens his eyes again. You are still walking, still in a forest, still tripping over gnarled roots rising out of the ground and stepping over deep leaves. But this time they're not pine needles. This time they're broad leaves. They're red and orange. You're moving through the undergrowth of a large forest, a green forest with huge towering oaks, ashes, birches. These trees reach up far higher than any forest you've ever been in before and the dappled light filters down as if it's midday, even midsummer. You don't feel any warmer. But in this dim, uncertain light, you walk and you feel a small hand slip into yours. 
Ernest looks down. You see a young girl. She's maybe 12, probably not much older. Uh, she's stepping along very lightly. Her skin is slightly mottled, slightly green or blue or grey. It's kind of hard to tell in the light. Uh, she has short hair, but the features are finer, more human, more recognisable. And something clicks in your memory. You remember a young girl dressed in blue standing on the deck of a ship looking at islands emerge from the fog and spray. She's not quite the same, but it's closer to this. Cheshire looks up at you. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you. Where's the old man? Uh, you feel another hand, like, slip into your other hand. Oh, there he is. <laughs> hey there, boy. You turn around, and Winston does not look the way that you have ever seen him before. Winston looks younger, uh... He's not the grizzled, insane, old man, human raccoon that he was before. Uh, he is younger. He is less stooped. Uh, he stands a bit straighter. His hair has um, a dappling of ginger and brown as well as grey. His beard is shorter and better kept. Uh, the lines on his face are lessened. Bonjour. He grins it's me, Winston. He grins at you with a very, very familiar grin that uh, sends your heart plummeting back to endless months in the desert <laughs> building sandcastles. <laughs> you realise that both of these figures are themselves, but they are changed. They are more like themselves than they were when you knew them, especially in the case of Cheshire. She is more human than she was before she is regaining something of what she lost maybe of something that she never really was able to be and Winston himself seems to be what's what's a, a good way of putting unaging restored he seems restored to a younger more vital version of himself perhaps before life and the toll of years and stresses took much of his bearing insanity from him so let me guess you're dead and you've come to join the fellowship no Winston that's not how that would work he's not going to come back here oh I'm very sorry for you I'm sorry for your loss oh, okay um, no I'm, I'm not dead I'm currently walking in the forest not this forest I'm walking in a different forest I kind of just needed some advice. And you came to us? I'm not a magic eight ball, kid. But I can give vague answers, so I, shoot. I can give vague answers and some... Uh, you could say advice. She wouldn't say advice. Uh, Cheshire just <laughs> shakes her head minutely at you. It's like a don't ask. Where are you guys now? Um, hmm. It's kind of hard to say. Nothing. There's no names on signs or anything here. There are no signs here, but it's not the desert anymore, and that's good with me. 
This place is the definition of vagueness. But it's pretty. She looks up at the canopy high above you. You hear a bird song somewhere and you see a swoop of colour as one bird and then another chase each other through the trees. So much better than the flower forest. Goddamn bees everywhere. When I say flower forest, I mean it was just a meadow of flowers. Uh, yeah. Anyway, what do you want? It's good to see. <laughs> Ernest uh, looks around a little bit. Uh, so I'm about to go and... You probably never heard of them, but um, the big pack of dangerous creatures, half men, half not, and stuff's going to go down, and I'm just not sure if I'm ready for all that. Cheshire kind of nods. Are you afraid? Is that what the issue is or you don't know if it's the right thing to do no I'm not afraid I think ever since coming back from the desert I don't think I've ever actually been afraid it's more just whether or not I can do it because as people keep talking about the chart the chart the tide rising or something and there's about to be a war between these things and humans and this is my one shot to try and stop it but I can only stop it if they want it to stop and Winston scratches his chin as like mmm yes I think I remember this being in a movie somewhere now from what I learned this might have been Winston Churchill possibly Ben Affleck maybe Oprah peace only comes when two or more parties, usually the parties most uh, upset with each other, actually talk. You know, this rarely happens in the real life, but in movies it happens pretty often. You know, the villain's like, oh, you didn't listen to me. Um, no, they ignore half of what I say. Uh, it's more of a situation of people need to want to listen to each other for peace, therefore, to happen. Is is that going to happen? Uh, things for stuff. No, that's that's not gonna happen it's not so much that it's more I have to make myself their leader and they do that through an act of strength and I'm not stronger than them just because you're not strong in the way that they're strong there are different kinds of strength uh, yeah just do what you did to me. Taser you? I'll be honest, I don't really remember that much. Oh, um, well, it's because I tased you. You won me over anyway. Yeah. I don't have time, though. Look, I know I, I don't have the experience to tell you what you should do, really. I just know that if Carrion was here, he'd tell you... You know, there's a time to fight and there's a time for peace. So maybe there's a time for you to try, even though it seems impossible. 
maybe there's a time to walk away. You could try socking him in the mouth. The old, the old one, two, ha-ha, smashing. Uh, thank Warwick, you, Winston. is that you? <laughs> huh? Who's that voice in my head? <laughs> That's the bees again. Sounds, the goddamn bees! Sounds, <laughs> Hello, bees. It sounds like that plucky one that I don't like. <laughs> that plucky Alistair one. He tried to fight me and I... <laughs> Boy, I showed him. Boy, I showed that angry teenager what for. Yeah, pokes him in the eye. I think he had some lichen in his hair or something. It was all green. It was, it was very all, distressing. It was all green. It looked like chutney. Oh, chutney. I haven't thought about the golden days in a long time. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Don't worry, listeners. This is the part of the story that we're spending lots of time on. We want to get this right for you. <laughs> Yep. Um, Cheshire sort of squeezes yep. your hand a little tighter. It sounds like you've got a job to do, and it sounds like the best you can do is try. If they're not going to listen to reason, then the show of strength makes sense to me. And if that doesn't work, then you've done everything you can do. You can't save everyone. It's not your job. Mm. But you can offer, and you can let them choose. You hear another flapping of wings, Ernest, and you hear the bird song again, and the wind rustles through the trees, and you catch the smell of summer, the smell of drying grass and ripening fruit. And then you feel the wind turn cold, and as you close your eyes against it, uh, you feel the two hands in either of yours slip away again. Thanks. You're welcome. Catch you on the flip side, son. And they're gone. You open your eyes, you are standing back in the dead pines. The smell of rot and decay the cold chill of early winter on your skin. Ernest rolls his shoulders, grits his teeth, and walks through the last few layers of trees before he reaches the edge of the valley and begins looking down into it. Ernest looks up to Darnell flying above him. He looks back and sees Randy off in the distance and looks around and sees the glint of light off Sherman's rifle and he squeezes his hands closed on the empty air and he whispers to himself thanks for walking with me all of you and he looks down into the valley lead them out Ernest lead them out of the valley
deep in the valley, the light has all but disappeared as the sun drops behind the mountain. In a small clearing, not far from the river itself, on this dried, rocky ground, uh, the Wendigos have gathered, and they've gathered in their tens and in their dozens and in their hundreds. They fill the trees on every side. In this small clearing, uh, we see Cord, the man that we see Cord, the man that Randy had spoken to, the man who had tried to convince him to join them. Many of them are in Wendigo form; some are in human form. Uh, especially those who are less used to the transformation. There are calls and hoots and growls, a discordant humming of noise of hundreds of animal beings chattering and jittering amongst themselves in anticipation of what is to come. Cord steps up onto the stump of a felled tree that is rotting away and he opens his arms to address this collection of creatures. The night is almost upon us, brothers. The time has come. We will pick a king for ourselves. Let the strongest step forward. Let the fiercest step forward. Let the hungriest step forward. Any who can challenge me for our throne, do so now. Uh, and you can see in dribs and drabs, ones and twos, Wendigos begin to step into the circle. There is little to differentiate them from one another. They are all tall. They are all thin. They all have the same head, the same antlers. Some are bulkier, some are skinnier, some have taken more damage, bear more scars, but all of them are more or less the same. A few are in human form and who begin to tear at their own skin to bring on the transformation. Another figure presses into the crowd and enters the circle. This Wendigo is taller, larger than the others. Whether that's age or youth, it's hard to tell, but there is strength in him. He towers above some of the smallest. His antlers especially are long and stand proud. He steps forward and demands of Cord. Cord! What makes you think we can order us to fight amongst ourselves? Are you truly trying to progress our people? Or are you just doing this for your own vanity? Cord steps down off of the stump. Vanity is strength. All kinds of strength are found in the self-protection if you think you can take 
leadership from me, then come and take it because only the strongest will lead and only the strongest will survive. You keep talking about your own strength, Cord. What qualifies you to speak for the best of all of us? You keep talking about our strength, but we know it's only your strength that you care about. And isn't it only your strength that you care about? Uh, you can see this Wendigo is starting to get quite annoyed. Um, and he's clearly like hunching his shoulders and getting ready to attack or fight or something. I'm just questioning whether you're the one who should be making these calls. Well, then there is only one way to decide, isn't there? Challenge me. Challenge me! You can tell from the, from the moral standpoint of his arguments, this creature is trying not to attack, but instinct wins the battle of wills and he charges forward, antlers first, going straight for the torso of the Wendigo form of Cord. Cord is still in his human form. As you rush forwards, antlers first, Cord ah! opens his arms to accept the blow. You see the antlers puncture flesh all the way through, breaking through his back. They pierce his arms and his legs, even his throat. And as the Wendigo rears, lifting Cord into the air, blood begins to run down the antlers and then Cord's skin begins to tear and fall apart, and as he does so, the transformation begins. The fingers elongate, turning into claws, the arms stretch and bend as he takes hold of the antlers that pin him. And as the Wendigo unfurls from the man, he begins to pull. Cord tears the antlers apart as his attacker drops to the ground onto his knees, still struggling to run. Cord bears down on him, forces him down into the ground and then snaps both the antlers. He reaches forward with his talons and there is a tearing sound as he drives them into the back of his challenger. There is a twist and a snap and the wriggling and the writhing stop. Cord turns his head up and howls to the darkening sky. In the strained, inhuman vocal chords, we hear the howl and the words. It begins. The tide has changed, the tide rises, behold. And in the darkening sky, the pale moon is just visible, becoming clearer and clearer. And as it does so, 
a red begins to blossom over the surface of the moon. The moon is not quite full, it is barely a crescent. But red slips into the moon and begins to stain the sky and the earth beneath them begins to rumble and quake. And then a red glow illuminates the Wendigos in the the circle as Ernest steps over the line holding a flare in his hand while they're all distracted and says and who's going to lead you when that tide changes I'm here to challenge the alpha (laughs) 